Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is Buzz Beat, member of Almighty Baller Radio and hosted by Spencer and Richie. All right, welcome back, Buzz Beat listeners, uh, Queen City Hoop readers, and Hornets fans everywhere. Uh, the playoff chances for the Hornets are now officially dead, uh, and the season is all but over, but there is still plenty to talk about, and Handles Randall and I are here to bring that to you. Don't forget that we are a member of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network. Please make sure that you're checking out uh, all of the awesome NBA coverage over at almightyballer.com. Richie, the Hornets are officially in the draft lottery, my friend. Your gut reaction to that? My gut reaction is that's not really what I expected as we enter the season. I predicted for us to you know, end up with less wins, but still make it into the playoffs, even at that sixth spot. If you look at the standings right now, the Bucks have 41 wins, are in the playoffs, and currently sitting in the sixth spot. So logistically... That could have worked out for us. You know, we had 48 wins last year. Did not expect that to happen this year, but I did expect us to make it to the playoffs. So logistically, we could have ended up with less wins and slid into the playoffs. Uh, you know, five, six, seven, in that range. Obviously, beginning of the year, I thought, you know, we could compete for a top four spot. If you were to tell me that we were lottery bound, you know, beginning of the season, I would have been a little, little skeptical. But as the season progressed, uh, it was looking more and more like that that was going to happen. Uh, with the injuries, the lack of depth, I think by the end of February is kind of when I knew that uh, that's where we were going to be headed. I know others kind of held out hope as the season progressed. We actually had a little bit of a push towards the end of the season. Uh, but yeah, I would, I would, my gut reaction is that's not what I expected to begin the season. And as the season progressed, it did seem like it was more and more of a possibility that that's where we were headed. Uh, but the issue was we pushed for that playoff spot. And I wish we kind of would have played ourselves out of that playoff spot and into a better draft position. But, you know, last thing I'll say on that is that the Hornets would have never done that. So, No, they wouldn't have. And um, you know, we've discussed that plenty. But you got to give this team credit. Uh, the resurrection uh, was real. I mean, until this past week where they lose three straight and, and play themselves out of the picture, they had won seven of nine previous to that. So, you know, credit <clears throat> to those guys and, and Coach Cliff and – to just keep fighting, uh, and, and they're still fighting. You know, they fought yesterday against Boston and uh, probably should have won that game and certainly gave themselves a good chance uh, and a big comeback. But uh, but they're, they're playing hard, and they're just extremely flawed. I mean, this roster is flawed. Uh, they're in cap hell. Uh, I mean, this just get used to it because this these are the guys uh, the Hornets fans are going to have to ride or die with for the next two or three seasons, and it's just, you know, it's just the, the construction and the – uh, the makeup of this team, and and we're a little bit stuck. But different conversation for a different day, Richie. Let's get into last week's action. Uh, competitive Hornets have a chance to win uh, two or three of those games. The Miami game always felt out of reach, but the Washington game, let's start there. Washington wins. This was Tuesday night, 118-111. Hornets are up by 12 at halftime. Uh, definitely outplayed the Wiz in the first half, and you know I thought for the beginning of the third quarter, but – Boy, oh boy, when Washington got it going from deep and when they were able to speed that game up uh, and get Wall out into the open floor and, and get Charlotte moving faster than they're comfortable moving, you can see the blueprint of a Wizards team that <laughs> they could definitely start playing the right ball at the, at the right time of the year, I think. And I think they that's a team that could beat Cleveland. Um, but anyways, let's talk about this game. Richie, again, I thought it got away from the Hornets when the game sped up. Uh, 16 turnovers, too much for Charlotte. Um, and then Washington gets it going from deep. Yeah, we we both noticed that in the game where they sped the game up, and that's not really our style. I mean, we do like to transition off turnovers at times and spurts, but overall, we're not a fast-paced team. But when we tried to keep pace with the Wizards, uh, it just didn't work. 
and Wall is very, very good in transition. You know, he, he will pull up from the mid-range or take it all the way to the basket. So he's a very difficult guard. And I always felt that Kimba never really played well against Washington, uh, and especially Wall because of his size. But he played very, very good against this Washington team, dropping 37 points and shot the ball very efficiently from the field. Uh, Cody had a very good game, and he always plays well against the Wizards. He averages 15-7 and seven against the Wizards and had 10-10 and 10 on that night. But like you said, the upped pace... We just couldn't keep up with. And when the third quarter and fourth quarter came, you know, the the three-point shooting from the Wizards kind of ramped up a little bit. And, you know, think about this. The the season average, Washington Wizards averaged 9-9. Nine three-pointers made and 25 three-pointers attempted. In the second half alone, they were 10 for 17. So, again, we'll talk about this later in the show, but just our inability to to defend that line uh, has become an issue all season really yeah it's been it's been a huge issue you know and you just again we got we got Washington out into their comfort zone you know in transition got him open looks from behind the arc so you know not that Charlotte doesn't already give up enough open looks um you know from three but certainly in transition it's gonna be hard to defend that accurately uh but I you know I thought Nick Batum when he had to kind of run the second unit uh, he has a few very crucial turnovers there in that third quarter, uh, and that seemed to me to really to really spark uh, the run for them. Uh, Miles Plumley had a, had a crucial turnover too, uh, but so in the end, you know, the, the Hornets just get they get outplayed in the second half. Um, at that point, the playoff chances aren't dead. Uh, you know, as we transition into the very next night, uh, where the Hornets came home against Miami, but um, my goodness, they ran into a buzzsaw. Uh, that it was a Heat team that, you know, I, I don't know that it would have mattered if, if Charlotte was defending the three-point line <laughs> that night because Miami was throwing everything in. Uh, they made 21 threes, um, so they made 21 of 40 on the night. Uh, James Johnson goes crazy. Goran Dragic goes crazy. Um, this team, I, I just, I can't believe the job Eric Spolstra has done with this ragtag group. Uh, I mean, Rodney Magruder, you know, starts for them. He's just it's it's amazing. You know, I I did not know James Johnson was even capable of being this kind of guy. And he has absolutely murdered the Hornets in every single game this season. We cannot match up with him. Uh, But you got to give this Heat team credit, Richie. They fight. They play together. They guard. Uh, They've got a guy down low that you can send all your defensive action to uh, Hassan Whiteside and he can clean it up. But. You know, it's fun to watch an NBA team that is that is driven, that has a goal, that plays on both ends, that is just kind of tougher than you are. And I think that's who Miami is. And, and Charlotte learned that the hard way on Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, from a roster standpoint, their their roster isn't necessarily better than ours. I, I wouldn't even say it is. I mean, they do have some good players and, and Goran Dragic, and he's been playing well lately. Uh, they got Whiteside. James Johnson, like you said, always kills us. But overall, their roster should not be a roster in which they are still in playoff contention. While we're eliminated, they are still in playoff contention. So, yeah, you got to give credit to Spo. He's a great coach. You know, I've always kind of thought that even when he had LeBron on his team, he never got the credit that he deserved. Uh, but now you can see kind of, you know, how he's working with this team with less talent. And, you know, Winslow's out for the year. He's had to deal with that for most of the year. So this Miami team is still competing uh, and still in the race for the playoffs. But, yeah, this game... I felt we felt less in control of this game than we did the Washington game, uh, and that lead kind of ballooned in the second half, right after halftime with our starters. So, yeah, give credit to Spo. Yeah, just a lot of shot making for Miami. I mean, they make you know, they create a lot of offense uh, as Gordon. You know, everything runs through Gordon Dragic, and he's had you know sneakily an, an All NBA, you know, flirting with an All NBA year. I mean, his numbers are, are crazy good this year, kind of back to Phoenix. Goran Dragic but um you know everything runs through him he's a he's a really smart player when he gets it going offensively when he sees his shot go in Richie that pick and roll action with Whiteside becomes so much harder uh to defend because now you got to step up on Dragic you can't sit back with your big and now you're allowing Whiteside to to you know get a head start running at the rim which creates your help defense to have to come over even more and and so that happened right away because Dragic got it going early in the game um, and we saw this in the seven-game playoff series last year. I mean, there's a few games where he really struggled. But for the most part in that series, he was pretty good. And it just made that pick-and-roll situation 
uh, with Whiteside, almost impossible to get to negotiate defensively. Um, and, and the Hornets just they had no defensive scheme answer for that Heat team on Wednesday night. And um, and it was really hard to watch. And, and on top of that, the Hornets just weren't good offensively. They finished eight of 25 from behind the arc on the game. Um, take care of the ball, you know, don't really beat themselves per se, but they just couldn't match Miami's offensive efficiency and, and onslaught there. Um, Nick Batum played pretty well, which he also did last night against Boston. So kind of nice to see Nick get going here yep. uh, at the end of the season. But, you know, it's too late, so we should have figured that he would show up now. <laughs> but, exactly. Uh, yeah, you know, it's like, of course you're going to play good now. Richie, anything else that really sticks out about this game outside of the Hornets just not having an answer for Miami's offense? No, I mean, I forgot to mention this. This, I think, what happened in the third quarter, there was a technical called on Whiteside. And for, like, the next, I would say, 10 possessions, he was just a beast. You know, he that kind of sparked his effort, his energy. And we saw earlier in the year when we played against him, like, he just seemed out of it. Uh, sometimes it takes something like this for him to actually get into the game mentally. Uh, but they, Miami went on a run in the third quarter, and a lot of it was due to him and his energy, and that technical foul that was called on him. I can't remember exactly when in the third quarter, but I just remember that vividly happening, and then from then on out, uh, it was pretty much all over in that game. You know, i got to give Hassan Whiteside a lot of credit. <clears throat> I was um, I was not a proponent of, of really anybody paying him, uh, you know, a max salary. The Heat, you know, they took a chance. Uh, he got his big deal. Um, this year was the first year of that deal. You know, he'll, he'll be making – Almost $28 million in the nineteen twenty season. Uh, but, you know, Richie, his, his effort <clears throat> has become more consistent this year. He's less of a baby. It seems like he's pouting less. Just just feels like he wants to be out there playing the game um, and plays with passion. And when a guy like that, I mean, he is he, – he's built – Unlike very many centers in the league, it can do things, protect the rim. Um, unlike many guys in this entire league, you know, if he plays with that kind of energy and that kind of passion, I mean, he can definitely become the most impactful defensive center uh, in the entire NBA. And, and we've seen that guy in spots this year. I think we definitely saw him Wednesday night. Uh, Miami's got something cooking down there. You know, it's a, it's a little bit of a flawed roster, but they go into free agency. I think they're going to have some money to spend here. Um, if they nail another draft pick, which they've been good at in the past, feels like it's not going to take them long to recover from the LeBron James days. But, um, all right, so let's move on to last night, uh, the Boston game. Hornets were not officially dead, uh, in the playoff hunt going into this game, but they do lose to the Celtics 121, uh, to 114 in the game that they had to, they made an 18, what was it? 18 point comeback, Richie, 19 point 19, comeback. Yeah. And then, in the second half, to take the lead by seven, really, with about six minutes left in that game. They were up 104-97 after Marvin Williams' triple. Uh, and then it just really seemed uh, to go south from there. Uh, Isaiah Thomas happened. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and he did not have like this an amazing fourth quarter like he has had against us in the past. I believe he scored nine in the fourth, uh, which is still good, which is still great. Uh, and he, you could definitely feel his impact in the game, especially late in, in that game. You know, he, he, he's tough to guard because even though he's small, he does finish very well around the basket. Uh, and we saw that on a couple occasions late in the game, you know, up with Zeller and, and all the bigs around him. He's still able to finish, and he's very quick when he gets to the rim. So, you know, he'll, he'll either shoot the three, but if you close out hard on him, he, he's going to cut to the basket. And even with his size, he can finish, you know, amongst the trees in that restricted area. So, yeah, Isaiah Thomas did happen. Avery Bradley also had a good fourth quarter. I believe he scored... 10 or 11 points in the fourth quarter, and you know he killed us earlier in the year. I think he was it was on the home opener. So we kind of uh, bookend our season with a home opener and a home finale against Boston. Both happened to be losses. I guess the one positive that you have to take away from this game is Nick. I mean, I think this is one of his best games he've had in a while. You know, he was efficient and had a complete game from beginning to end. You know, I think in the OKC game and the Washington game, he had strong starts, but he kind of disappeared in the second half. This one, he was consistent from quarter one to quarter four so he had 31 points eight rebounds three assists and the big thing is he only had one turnover which is you know crazy crazy to hear out of Nick Batum yeah Batum had an excellent game yesterday I mean definitely one of his best of the season um and, and your point that you just ended on there I mean you know just one turnover really incredible for him only three assists but both of those numbers one turnover three assists they both tell me one thing that 
you know, he was just he was locked in offensively. He was aggressive offensively. He was looking for a shot. He was not hesitant. Um, you know, I I don't know how you know he gets there as a player, but that has to be more of Nick Batum's mindset moving forward. You know, we'll see if the Hornets you know, end up adding a you know, you know a real two-guard shooting guard and slide him over to the three, which I think at this point, Richie, just about every fan uh, that keeps up with the Hornets watches Nick Batum play would agree. we got to slide him to three. Um, but, you know, he has to look for his shot. He has to look to score more on this team. He's already naturally a good passer. He's already, you know, he already sees the floor very well naturally. But, you know, it's this hesitancy offensively that, you know, it affects – the rest of the team, you know, it affects the the, syn- the synergy on the court offensively for the rest of this group. Um, so he's really got to have more mindset like he had yesterday. 11 of 23 from the field, four of eight from behind the arc, gets to the free throw line seven times, 31 points. So a, a big game for Batum. It's almost like Whiteside, you know, in a way. I mean, not not that he has the upside that Whiteside has, but just his his mindset. Like he'll he'll go through you know a game where he has aggression in quarter one and quarter two and then he'll just kind of fall off and that's why we kind of were tentative about giving him the ball late in the games because you just never know if he'll turn the ball over if he gets passive all of a sudden but against Boston I mean he was on and he did not look to pass the ball um, because he was he was staying aggressive and that's what we've come to expect out of him especially when he signed that big contract so we wish this happened on a consistent basis and a, a consistent basis and not the third third to last game of the year yeah, <laughs> no doubt about that. Uh, but, you know, nonetheless, I think a good sign going into next year. You know, it's in there. You just again, to your point. You just hope that he finds some way to make it more consistent. Um, but, you know, back to the, the Isaiah Thomas uh, topic there at the end of the game. You know, he's he's a load to deal with. I think I would have liked Charlotte. <clears throat> I would like to see them defensively be a little bit more aggressive with him. And what I mean by that is, you know, on those pick and rolls, just go ahead and blitz him, you know, trap him. Get the ball out of his hands. Make somebody else beat you. You know that Thomas is going to get the ball at the end of the game, and you know that the chances are that guy's going to take it. He's going to be taking the shot, whether that's driving to the rim, um, or if you know if the big is sitting a little bit low on the pick and roll, he's going to let it go. So I, I would have liked the Hornets to be a little bit more aggressive with him offensively and, and, and make somebody else on Boston beat them. They were not. Uh, he hits I think two threes there late. Gets to the rim one time. And Richie, you were saying he's a good, you know, he's a good finisher for his size at the rim. He's just so good at using, you know, getting the defender on his hip uh, and using his body to leverage the angle, you know, so he can get his shot up. And he's good at getting all the way under the rim, getting the defender on one side of his body or the other, and using the other side of the rim almost as as a shield, right, as a defender, right? Uh, so he can so he can get his shot up. Kimbo's good at this too, but Isaiah Thomas is excellent at this. Uh, and he and he really makes a living off of that. But you know, it's frustrating though because I, I thought the Hornets could have been more aggressive with him and potentially had a, had a chance to pull that game out. Uh, they were not, and, and he burns them late in that game to to kind of close it out. They basically ran the same play on like five consecutive possessions. Uh, they had this horn set where they would come up a double high screen with Horford and Bradley, and they would run off that screen and Zeller, who was guarding Horford at the time. What, like you said, he wouldn't like hedge hard. He would kind of sag off because he knew that the drive was coming. Bradley would roll out and pop for three, so he was an option. Uh, but yeah, the attention was on Thomas, but it wasn't necessarily aggressive. They were just kind of contain him in the paint. Uh, but by that point, Kimbo couldn't catch up, and he got all the way to the basket uh, and made it. But we left Avery Bradley wide open for three. So we, we did give him that option, uh, but I guess it's just so hard to, to defend Boston because they do have shooters around him. Yeah, I mean, you know, Zeller is what he's doing is he's just like you're describing. He's guarding that ball screen. He's guarding it flat. <clears throat> so his butt is parallel with the baseline. Yep. Um, you know, really the other option and what I'm talking about uh, that I would have probably rather have seen. And Clifford has done this in the past, not often, but he's done it, is get Zeller to come out and now his to where his chest is parallel with the sideline. And so he's meeting Thomas face to face. You know, as he comes off that screen, obviously Kimba is trailing his hip, so now you have a natural trap right. uh, there. And, and Thomas has either got to split it, or he's got to, you know, he's got to dribble back, crab dribble backwards to, to create space, or he's got to give it up. Now, any of those options are fine. Uh, well, not splitting it. You don't want to let him split <laughs> it. But you know, the other two, crab dribble back or pitch it somewhere else. 
that's what you want. And I, I think, Richie, let's let's see what Boston faces in the playoffs and, and how the matchups work out. But I can guarantee you if you get an Eastern Conference Finals matchup of Cleveland and Boston, that's how Cleveland's going to guard that action. They're going to make sure it gets out of his hand. And they're going to use the same approach they used with Steph Curry. Uh, you know, in the finals these last few years, they're going to trap that action, get it out of his hands. I mean, we're not talking about a situation with Charlotte and Clifford in a defensive scheme that the Hornets have to execute over an entire game. We're just talking about the end of games. You know, make somebody else beat you. And a little bit frustrating uh, for me. You know, I just – the Hornets, you know, I, I don't I don't want to get into this huge, large defensive conversation, but we can have it for a minute. I just – you know, Clifford's a good defensive coach, and he's and I think he's a good coach overall, but he's not willing to adjust very often, and he's not willing to try new things uh, as, as often as maybe I think he should be. Um, and I think this Isaiah Thomas conversation and how we defend this pick and roll action, I think it's a perfect example. Uh, I think, to, to me, with this group that we have currently rostered, in a group that we're going to see for the next few seasons because the Hornets are locked in, he's going to have to get creative, Richie, on that end of the floor. Um, you know, we've we've all talked about, and you're going to talk about later, how they're, the Hornets are going to have to become better at guarding the three-point line. They have to. Um, you know, in this situation right here, we're talking about, you know, at the end of the game, getting creative and how you're going to guard a, a pick-and-roll situation against one of the best guards in the entire league, probably going to be an all-NBA uh, first team, eh, probably second team player in Isaiah Thomas. I mean, these are the you know these are the kind of things that you got to get creative. You got to think outside of the box. You got to get yourself a little bit out of the comfort zone as a coach, right? And try different things. Uh, and he just hasn't he hasn't shown that he's willing to do that, Richie. And I want your thoughts on that a little bit. It's almost like he's a a low risk type of coach. You know the the things that we were talking about just then about how to defend Isaiah Thomas at the end of games. It's kind of like a high risk, high reward type of deal. If you do hedge hard with Cody Zeller, you do give up that you know option that he, that, that he could split that screen and make it an easier shot at the rim even if even you know he would rather almost have us contain him and at least have bodies around him uh, but you're exactly right he doesn't adjust on the fly um, and to be honest with you he doesn't really to me he doesn't really adjust throughout the season it's almost like he's got to sit down after the season and think about okay what went wrong how can we adjust and that's kind of always been his thing and he just seems like a very conservative coach when it comes to that, you know, but, you know, he might need to make a high risk, high reward type of move, especially with our roster. Uh, we don't have great individual defenders. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely agree that, you know, the the actual talent defensively on the roster is not high. And, um, you know, I, I touched on this a little bit last week. You know, there you, you can give Zeller credit for being, you know, an average to slightly above average guy defending the rim, but he's not he's not a rim protector no right guys aren't and what i mean by that i know he does a good job of protecting the rim and you know i, I mean everyone it, there's nothing i could say to that uh, i mean i know the stats spit out you know the right kind of numbers but what i'm what i'm telling you is that when a guy is driving at cody zeller it, it's not going to make him think twice about going up or, or pitching it back he's going to go at him and so that that ability for for def, you know for offenses to go at the rim you know, with no hesitancy is, is a problem for Charlotte. And that creates this, you know, larger, you know, shell defense, overhelp, um, you know, help defenders cut, sagging in too deep to the paint. You know, they need more than one guy, you know, towards the rim um, to persuade, you know, the offense from, you know, from, from heading there uh, with the ball. So, you know, until Charlotte finds a guy who can legitimately kind of protect that area by himself, um, so to speak, in a lot of defensive situations, I, d I don't know where Charlotte can be more aggressive defensively, and I don't know where they can extend uh, to the three-point line to to try to clean up this problem uh, with three-point defense, you know. And um, but 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 you know, it's all interesting, Richie. And what we're talking about is is Coach Cliff really just not being willing to to try new things because I, I think there are other things that we could be trying, but it hasn't really happened yet. So. So anyways, that, I guess we're still in the Boston game. It went into a little bit of a different conversation <laughs> there. <laughs> Anything else as we kind of close close the game that has officially put the Hornets you know, out of the playoff race here? No, I mean, again, you know, we're out of it. You know, we, we talked about how we kind of gave up on the season, but they did they did tempt us, you know, towards the end of the season here. And, 
And I kind of hope for these last two games, not sure it's actually going to happen, but we see more playtime out of the younger players like Lamb and Kaminsky and, and Weber uh, and maybe even Travion Graham just to see you know, a little bit of run out of them to see how they fit with their roster moving forward. Obviously, it's just going to be two games, but you know, it might not be a big enough sample size. But yeah, our season is over. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's a good point. You know, I'm interested to see, you know, Weber especially get some minutes, uh, hopefully get some minutes down here at the the end of the season. I, I would, but who knows? You know, I would hope that Brian Roberts is done. I don't know what the point is to, to have him play in these last two games. But yeah, Graham's going to see minutes, like you said, with, with Bellinelli. We're not sure what his status is. I, I doubt that he would play uh, oh, the remainder of the season. Kim, yeah, Kimba, Kimba, you know, injured his left leg late last night. And it, 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 he walked off on his own power, so I don't know how exactly how significant this injury is. Uh, but he yeah. was coming off a uh, a screen and um, or defending a screen, I should say, and running through one, and he just kind of fell. And he was kind of holding his left leg, left knee, um, just kind of nursing that that leg. But he walked off on his own power. He was able to walk back uh, after the game in the locker room on his own power. Uh, so I don't think it's that significant. But again, in a somewhat meaningless game, when we really have you know, a slight chance of winning in the, you know, making the playoffs, that would have sucked to have him go down on that type of injury. So again, we got two games that are definitely meaningless coming up. Let's try to limit the, uh, the minutes from Kemba and Batum and MKG and everyone that has uh, a future with us and see what the young kids do. Yeah. I don't even know why Kemba would like, if he plays in these last two games, I'll be a little bit pissed. Not a little bit. I will be pissed. Like, what's what? What's the point? I, I there is. I don't. Like, you know, I've already made my case for him being shut down about a month ago, three weeks ago, and I stand by that. But now, like these last two games, why suit him up? What is the point? You 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 depend on him for so much, night in, night out. Uh, I mean, gosh, incredibly, he's been you know healthy this season. But uh, you know, the guy has had numerous procedures on that knee and you've got to pick your spots here to get him some rest if he plays in these last two games Richie yeah that is just that is a suicide mission for the Hornets uh, so it'll be interesting I you're officially out of the playoff race somebody please tell <laughs> Michael Jordan Rich Joe <laughs> and Steve Clifford there's nothing that like maybe, good for you maybe for they you. think there's a ninth Don't. seed maybe they think there's a ninth seed yeah let's let's make sure we get the last lottery um you know the last lottery slot here that that's more important than 13th so let's make sure we're the 14th worst worst team in the league it looks a lot better uh and says that we didn't tank unbelievable Richie all right let's let's get off this topic all right so let's talk about some individual stats you pulled some I pulled some the other night some interesting stuff when I start digging around uh, kind of on nba.com and nba wowie is also a good on-court off-court site if you guys want to Check that out um, to find out how some of the lineups work for the Hornets and, and how some folks play together or, or don't play as well together. Uh, let's start with just a general net rating. Uh, Richie, on the season, well, this was going into the game last night. Uh, Kimba's net rating on the season is 3.6. Um, not the highest on the team, second highest. Batum is a point and a half, which is much more modest average net rating. Um, and I want to talk about Batum here for a minute. Um, not a good season for him. Uh, certainly regressed overall. Shoots about 40% from the field, um, 33% from behind the arc. His assist and turnover numbers are effectively the exact same as last year, so he's still flirting with about three turnovers a game. Uh, just shy of that, really. But we did not see him make a jump this year. Richie, what I want to ask you, and then we'll talk about some other numbers here, is is this 15 points a game, Six rebounds, you know, five assists. Is this the guy that the Nick Batum that we're going to see for the rest of his career, or do you is there a is there an uptick uh, left in in his progression as a player? I think there could be an uptick uh, in in points and assists, and obviously to kind of limit those turnovers. But I think that you know his, his actually per game stats, you know, slightly, but they went up from last year. But the issue with Batum has been his shooting percentages. You know, nothing, you know, jaw-dropping here, but his his catch-and-shoot numbers and his pull-up numbers were all, you know, if you look at them, they all favored last year compared to this year. So his his shooting percentages went down. So in terms of per-game stats, I, I don't mind if he has, you know, 15, 16 points a game. 
uh, six assists a game. That's fine. Uh, but I think his shooting percentages and his turnovers got got ahead in the right direction. So if, if you're our second option, you can't be turning the ball over that much because we can't rely on you late in games. And if you're a second option, you can't have a continuous dip in your shooting percentages. I think one thing that has inflated his stats this year, because obviously his points went up, assists, rebounds, turnovers, and all that, um, you know, slightly, but it did. I think his biggest thing is that Batum actually did a good job of, you know, legit or not, was he, he was able to draw fouls off, off screens, uh, especially in the three-point range. Uh, 21% of his points came off of free throws this year. Uh, that's up from 16% from last year. So did these inflate his stats? Probably. So, you know, a lot of his points come from the free throw line, not from the actual, you know, floor. So you can't you can't really count on the refs always bailing you out and giving you that call. So the biggest thing is, yes, I, I, I can see an uptick in those points per game, assists, rebounds, uh, and what have you, but... I think the shooting percentages is kind of where I, I would want to focus on. That that has certainly been, you know, an area of his offensive game um, that he's improved in. He, you know, he's shown us something we hadn't really seen before. And it started, Richie, with, you know, coming off the screen at the three-point line. You know, when he's got a guy trailing him, almost like he's got his, you know, the defender's got a hand on Batum's hip. You know, he got really good at getting into his shot motion and, and earning uh, an, an abnormal amount of, you know, three-point uh, free throw attempts and, and Bellinelli got really good at that too but but yeah Batum slowly as the year that kind of progressed into you know him posting up more which we saw him do yesterday against Avery Bradley a few times um, really in these last two games Richie he has drawn fouls off, off of post up um, you know post up opportunities where he has a smaller defender uh, guarding him now I think you would agree with me that he's not a good post player. You know, that that's right. not a part of his game. You know, outside of drawing a foul, he's just going to, you know, he's going to catch it against a smaller defender. He's going to take one or two, you know, dribbles back. Exactly right. And then he's going to fade, uh, which just tells me it's just his bailout move. Um, he doesn't, he's developed no kind of post game where he can spin to his right hand or spin to his left hand and go straight up at the rim. Um, you know, he's kind of stuck to the floor in that way. So, you know, that, that is an aspect of his game that I think he can improve. Um, but what saves him was your initial point that he gets to the free throw line and he's gotten really good uh, at getting in, almost flipping into a shot motion when he feels the defender's hand on his hip, on his back, wherever it might be, kind of spins his elbows into that, into that hand and earns the foul. Uh, but you're right. You, that stuff, you can't depend on it, right? Like you actually have to develop – um, some real offensive moves that you can go to, uh, you know, especially if you expect to be a team that that competes and goes in the playoffs. That you know, you're not going to get away with that kind of garbage. You you, right. you got to play basketball. You got to you got to make shots, um, you know, and and just making shots more consistently uh, is something that's extremely important for Nick Batum. Um, I, I would say to this conversation is uh, and kind of this question I presented. That that I think this is the Nick Batum um, that we're basically going to see uh, yeah. for the remainder of his career. I, I don't, I, I just don't see, I don't, I see where areas that he could improve, and, and I know how he could do that. Uh, I'm not sure that it's going to happen though. Uh, you know, Nick Batum goes about the game of basketball in a very very meticulous way, and he just he. In his mind, he puts so much emphasis on trying to draw fouls um, and kind of play the game. And yeah, I don't want to beat him up here, but kind of play the way in, in a gimmick, in a gimmicky way, if you will. You know, and and that's a mindset thing. Uh, and I, I don't know that that changes enough to where we see a Nick Batum, you know, shoot, have a year where he shoots forty five percent from behind the arc and you know develops a game where he's catching it around the block uh, against smaller defenders and and really punishing them and. You know, an average in 20 points a game. I, I just, I don't know that we're ever going to see that guy. I mean, that was the guy that, you know, NBA fans for a decade have been, you know, uh, hoping for from Batum. I mean, the potential was always certainly there with his length and his, you know, and his passing ability and the way he saw the floor. And he's just a versatile player. But, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, this is kind of what he is. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm I'm content with it in terms of his per game stats, but I'm not content with it when it comes to uh, his shooting percentages. And going back to the uh, your point about the post ups and how he likes to fade and, and dribble away, and he'll take advantage of smaller defenders when that's the case, but that's not part of his game. But I wonder if it goes back to his mindset. He's not aggressive. He's not going to try to to. I mean, not that he would 
bully anyone, but like he's not going to try to attack the basket when he's in that post-up situation. So again, kind of goes back to his mindset overall. He's got a very, um, I wouldn't say a, a passive game, but I mean, he does play passive at times. So I think that's probably part of the reason why he's not ever developed that post-up game because he probably doesn't want to be down there. Yeah, yeah, right. So on the other side of the floor, you know, I ran some <clears throat> some numbers when Kaminsky and Batum shared the floor on the defensive end. Opponent shot 51.5% from the floor and almost th- almost 37% from behind the arc, 367 So you're certainly, you know, eye-popping, very bothersome defensive numbers. Uh, Batum, we've talked about this before, he, he cannot stay in front of his – defender um you know one thing that certainly is not going to change is Batum has slow feet uh it's just it's kind of athlete he is he's never been an incredible athlete never will be yeah but if he gets Um, but if he gets out of his upright stance you can move a little bit quicker wouldn't you think no correct yeah I mean you're right if he commits to actually playing harder on that end gets in a stance you know decides he's going to move his feet you know, play a little bit off of the guy that he's guarding. That should always be part of his game plan because, number one, his, he can't move his feet very well. Number two, he has length yep. to kind of make up for being able to play a little bit farther off. Uh, but if the Hornets expect a return to being a top five or top ten defense, you know, it's going to mean that Nick Batum has to be more committed on that end of the floor. You're absolutely right, Richie. I expect this to be <laughs> a big-time topic of conversation between uh, between Batum and Clifford. Maybe even Rich Joe this offseason because this stuff for him just – I mean, I could go by that guy pretty easily <laughs> right now. I mean, he has no interest in trying to keep the ball in front of him um, and is like a magnet for ball screens. I mean, he just gets – he just melts on ball screens. There's got to be more of, more of a commitment on that end of the floor if the Hornets – you know, expect a return, like I said, to a top ten defense. But yeah, when him and Kaminsky share the floor, back to that original stat, yeah. it's um, it's it's the sea, it's the Red Sea parting. I mean, <laughs> it, 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 whatever you want offensively as an opponent, you yeah. got it. Yeah, both both of those players are very similar in the way that they they defend or they don't defend. Their, their stances are just not existent. Uh, Batum does have a little bit more, I guess, upside when it comes to defending. I mean, Kaminsky, I have a little less hope with him. Uh, because he's so lanky and big and kind of like oafy, you know what I mean? Uh, but at least Batum, if he gets down, it, he can he can use his length to his advantage. But uh, like like we've talked about all season, uh, he, it's a it's a want to factor, and he doesn't have that want to factor, especially on the defensive end. Correct. Uh, and then on the offensive end, you know, really, I found it interesting. It, did, it didn't get much better with these two when they shared the floor together. They both had. Uh, under a 50% effective field goal rate, which is which is not good, not good at all. So, really, it was just a, it was the perfect storm when Kaminsky and Batum shared the floor uh, on both ends, and the Hornets were were not able to survive um, that lineup, uh, including those two players, in any kind of consistent basis this year. Certainly going to be a topic of conversation moving into the future. Um, you know, and, and you're right, it is more Kaminsky than Batum. Batum's not a great defender, but He's better uh, than Kaminsky. Where do you play Kaminsky? What lineups is he best in? Um, you know, what I, I think with Zeller, you know, we talked about, I, I think that kind of steadies the water where you can get uh, a little bit out of Kaminsky offensively, kind of present that, that stretch the floor uh, threat, and then it's easier to hide him defensively um, than putting him at the five and asking him to, to have to negotiate all those pick and roll coverages and guard a guy that's bigger than him and just to ask him move less, to to move defensively less, makes a lot of sense, and that's why you know maybe he is just a better fit as a power forward for the Hornets. Um, if he's going to maximize his potential as a player, we've talked about this before. I think he needs to be a five, but I just I'm not sure that's a possibility for him in this league. So um, I think the question has been answered that that you know if Kaminsky's going to be on the floor at all and he's going to be productive and, and you're going to be good as a team on both ends, probably means he's going to have to be out there as a four, right? Um, all right, so clearly the best guy uh, in terms of net rating on this team uh, was Cody Zeller this season. Uh, and when Kimba and Zeller shared the floor, they were plus 7.8, the best on the team, two-man combination, not even close. Uh, when those two guys are on the floor, Richie, and we saw this last year, the offense is different, the defense is more connected, um, you know, Zeller with his screen assist, with his ability to roll to the rim hard, 
he just opens up so many options for Kimba, and the offense was excellent with those two on the floor. Yeah, and I, I should have said this midseason. Uh, I was thinking it, but I, I, I was almost hesitant to say it. Uh, when we gave out our midseason awards, I had Batoon number two and Zeller number three, but in my mind, I think Zeller was the best, be, or sorry, second best player uh, on our team this season, and I, I think it has shown as the season progressed that he has. I mean, his importance to this team uh, could be seen when he was gone. It could be seen when he was here. Uh, you obviously, like you know, you said the screen assist. He, I think he's third in the league uh, when it comes to per game screen assist. And him and Kimba played well together uh, because Kimba. You know, he ran the pick and roll at a high frequency, 55% frequency. That's a top 10 uh, in the NBA. And he averaged 12 points a game, Kimba that is, off of pick and roll situations. That's that's a league's best. So those two play together very well because they do a lot of the same things in terms of they work well together. You know, Zeller is the one that's setting the screen. Kimba is the one that is, is coming off that screen. And as Kimba has progressed throughout the years, he has become more difficult. Now, Zeller... I don't think he did a, a, as good a job as finishing off that pick and roll this season as he did last season. But what mm. we did see this season was the way that he was able to dish the ball after receiving that that pick and roll. And the Hornets had a 19% uh, assist ratio, uh, which is uh, when Zeller was on the court. So that's, that's second best on the team. So when he was on the court, the you know 19% of the Hornets made field goals were assisted. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean they were assisted by Zeller, but he could have had that, you know, that hockey assist where he gets it, makes the first pass, and forces the defense to rotate. So, yeah, those two pair very well together. We were kind of talking about this last year. Zeller and Batum paired well together last year. Now mm-hmm. it's all Kimba and Zeller. Yeah, and, you know, Richie, it's like when Zeller's in there, Charlotte knows where their offense is coming from. It's coming from the pick-and-roll situation, and they know that Zeller's rolling hard, and so there's one read. As a you know, as a ball handler in that situation, if you're Kimball Walker, there's one read. Where is Zeller's defender? Is he up? You know what we were talking about earlier with the Isaiah you know Thomas situation. Is he up? You know, playing you aggressively as a ball handler. If he is, then you got Zeller rolling to the rim. Okay, the second read is where's the health defense coming from? Is Zeller rolling free, or is you know is a weak side defender sagging in? Okay, if a weak side defender sagging in, Which I'm pitching it to the other. They, they, you know what I mean? So yeah. like, but my point is like the off like. The Hornets know where they're going to eat offensively when Zeller's in the game. Like they just they know the action that it comes out of. So it's just kind of like a repetition thing. Um, Kim has gotten really good in that set. The rest of the team knows how to react to it. You know that's when MKG's cutting back door when his defender turns his back to either go up and help to the other three point or the three point shooter or you know he dives in uh, to cut off Zeller going to the rim. You know the team just they know where they're getting their offense when that guy Cody Zeller's on the floor. If he's not. It is still very much an evolution uh, for Charlotte offensively, and, and they've tried to f- plug Frank Kaminsky in there this year, you know, at the five in spots to see, okay, can we can we form some kind of synergy around him, you know, as the five to to get consistent offense? And the answer has been no, and a lot of that is due to Kaminsky's you know inconsistent shooting, but you see a lot of over dribbling, you see the ball stick a lot. And that's because the Hornets just don't know where their offense is coming from when Cody Zeller's not on the floor. Um, you know, and when he was out for an extended uh, period of time this season, you know, we saw the Hornets struggle there. And if yeah. they weren't shooting it well from the outside, that and Kimba wasn't just going crazy, there really was no offense. No. So you know, having Zeller healthy is is absolutely key. And you know, his numbers just speak to his impact on this team. His total net rating uh, on the season is six point seven, wow. by far the best by far the best on this team it's it's incredible so you know I, I think Richie I don't want to go over time on this on this segment here but I do want to say this and you're this might make you mad and I'm I know you're going to make a lot of Hornets fans mad but <laughs> back to my point a little bit ago about the Hornets just needing more legitimate rim protection and then kind of link that to the to the fact that the Hornets are in cap hell um Cody Zeller is I think his value is, is as high as it's ever been. I mean, I don't think his value dropped or, or really increased from last season, but he is a very, very tradable uh, commodity. Now, you trade Cody, you know, with our lottery pick, you know, a package like that, you know, all of a sudden you open up a door 
or at least peek around it to what could be a different, you know, to shake up what it looks like a flawed roster, Richie. You know what I mean? Like, I, I you could keep kicking the rock down the road with these guys, and, and the Hornets very well may do that, and, and see if you can return to last year's form. Um, but but there's a situation that like, there's a contract that I think would uh, uh, certainly attract some attention. Um, there's a player that's certainly going to attract some attention. You know, link that with with a draft lottery pick. Um, you you might be able to get some serious um, goods in return there, or at least a good to organically change how this team plays. And I think they need that. You know, now is that you know a second a true second cog offensively or is that like i was talking about a second ago or is that some legit rim protection which now changes the way you can defend as a team you know i I don't exactly know what the answer to that is i guess my point is the larger point i'm trying to make is that those are the kind of discussions that this front office is going to have to have um and is already having i'm sure to try to on the fly kind of pull of a pull a, a rabbit out of the hat here as the hornets are locked into this group because I think it's obvious that like the ceiling is is certainly not the roof for this group <laughs> uh, that that the Hornets have rostered right now. Do you do you kind of get what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I mean, I, I he is my second favorite player on the team, but like you said, his, his value right now is at all time high. Uh, and if you're just going to stick it out with the score, you probably won't see much movement upwards, uh, maybe past the fifth or sixth seed. But if you change things around it can give us a little bit more flexibility moving forward and kind of change the uh the course or direction of this franchise i see it i guess i would just have to see what was coming back for me to actually give my evaluation on it yeah yeah sure so like in okay so if you look at the hornets roster and you're i don't know whatever another gm of another team name your team okay so i say to you i call you i say hey uh Richie, I am going to let you pick any guy on my roster that you want outside of Kimball Walker. Now you take – obviously you're going to take into consideration age, you know, the talent of the player obviously, the contract details. Who is that guy that you, that you want? I mean you might be right. You might be right. It might it might be Zeller. Uh, but it could be Batum's – well, no, not with Batum's contract. So yeah, it might be Zeller. I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, might be, it might be Zeller. I, th- I think you're correct in that situation, but I think as Hornets fans, it's it's hard for us to relinquish him, uh, knowing how much of a success he had this season. But yeah, you're you're right. Yeah, so it's just something to think about. I mean, you know, I, Zeller, he would be hard to replace. I don't think he would be impossible to replace. Uh, and I and I think that just getting a you know someone more athletic again, whether that's you know offensive shot in the arm or a guy who can really protect the rim, I, I think it. I think just athletically, um, it could change the way that the Hornets team could play. But uh, so, anyways, interesting, interesting to kind of keep an eye on and see what kind of conversations this front office starts having um, moving into the summer. All right. Oh, yeah. You know, the last thing I was going to say is just the Hornets are going to finish outside of the of the top ten in offensive and defensive efficiency. Um, they were top ten in both of those last year, Richie. So a pretty severe. Um, Pretty severe drop there. And actually, I'm going to look real quick. They might, at this point, be on pace to finish outside of the top 12 in defensive efficiency. I think they're right at 12 right now, I think. I think they are, I think they are too. I want to look that up. So, And they're going to be right at league average offensive efficiency-wise. They are Charlotte right now, 14th, so 107 offensive rating. And yeah, I think they have dropped... They have dropped. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. Charlotte is now after last night's game. They're seventeenth in the league in defensive wow. efficiency. And that is hard. Now it's a log jam, you know, right there at, at fourteen. The Clippers, you know, Philadelphia and Dallas are all one oh six and Charlotte's one oh six one. So it's a little bit of a log jam, but still, Richie, that's that's really hard to fathom with a Steve Clifford coach team. They are now below league average. In defensive, in defensive efficiency, it is. Just let that yeah. let that sink in. You know, he's it's crazy. He's never had a um, below top ten defensive rating in his three se- Well, now now this is his fourth season, but in his previous three seasons, he's always been top ten. It's it's pretty wild, um, and certainly these last three games we talked about it earlier. Just <laughs> it's just shooting practice for the for the opposition, and uh, yeah, so that's. I did not know it had dropped that much, and certainly something that's going to have to be corrected in the offseason. How the Hornets go about that is a different conversation. It will be interesting. 
Um, all right, Richie, let's look at some of the offseason priorities here. And I want you to kind of rank draft versus free agency to you. What's more important for the Hornets to nail as they go into this summer? Can I say both? No, I mean, I, I would say draft. Sure. I would say draft 1A, free agency 1B only because our options are going to be limited in free agency just because of our cap situation. Now, if you ask me about trades, maybe that would be like 1A draft, 1B trades, and then free agency as a number two priority. We just don't have a lot of wiggle room, but I think we have to make, you know, hit home runs in all these departments when it comes to this offseason. So, yeah, I mean, the priority is kind of right there, but I guess draft would be my top priority. Focus on that. Try to get a good player. But again, we're going to be sitting at the bottom of the lottery. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. I think the draft is the the top priority. Charlotte just needs something um, that resembles hope moving into the future. Uh, they need to get younger. Um, they, they need to acquire cheaper contracts. You know, So this is why the draft is going to be important for Charlotte. Um, you know, maybe, maybe the Hornets get lucky, you know, in the draft lottery, not looking like that's going to happen, but, but maybe they do get a better pick than, um, you know, than we're projected right now, which would literally, well, I think this is the 13th best odds right now. Um, but you know, draft's important for them. They got to get a player who not necessarily impacts the, the, you know, the game right away. Um, but they need a guy, um, who, you know, who I think that can be a serious contributor, um, down the road. Um, it would be nice to get a guy who can contribute right away. But, you know, this draft is loaded with young talent uh, and a lot of guys that are not going to be impact players uh, in season one. They, they, you know, the ceiling is very high for these guys. But, um, you know, outside of the top uh, four or five, I think that the strength of this draft is probably a little bit overrated in, in terms of guys that can come in and, and impact the game on day one. Um, <clears throat> but I agree. I think it is the draft. Um, you know, again, in free agency, the Hornets have the full mid-level exception. I, I don't really know what that's going to mean. You know, in, in the, this is the first summer that the mid-level exception is worth, you know, seven mil or whatever, you know, just shy of that. So it's, you know, it's worth a little bit more than it has been in the past. I don't know what that means for it. I'm not so, I'm not very confident the Hornets can get, you know, a, a big-time impact player there. Um, but depending on what they do in the draft, which is going to come before free agency, obviously – uh, it, it feels like to me the Hornets are going to have to find a, a second score um, and, you know, a shot in the arm offensively with that mid-level exception, Richie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, it's going to be a focus on draft first and then, you know, focus uh, shifts to free agency. And I haven't done a very good job at researching all the available free agents, uh, but I think sometimes with the, with the uh, mid-level exception, uh, it's, it's kind of a, it's a difficult issue because I feel like players – free agents that are, you know, they, they kind of look at the other options first. If they can get more than $7 million a year, they're going to try to get that. And then, you know, if a team just has a, you know, a, a mid-level exception, you know, a player is going to resort to that as their last possible option, I feel like. So we do have that full uh, mid-level exception, uh, which I believe is up to four years and gives us annual raises of 4.5% of the salary. And it is higher than it has been in the past, but... I don't know. I, I guess it's kind of we use it when the free agency pool kind of dies out a little bit. So it's it's hard to tell right now heading into free agency, you know, who's going to be able to, um, you know, be used for that MLE. Yeah, yeah. I, I have. I'm like you. I haven't really been more um, wrapped up in the draft and, and looking at some of those guys when I can. But um, and, and we'll talk about possible targets for free agency as as we move, you know, really into the off season, which we're not quite there yet. Um, but yeah, that's you know outside of that full mid-level exception, the Hornets, you know, they're already capped out. So that that's going to be the only way they can spend this summer. Uh, as you mentioned, a possible trade is the other option. And, and look, just keep that keep that in mind. I mean, the Hornets are not locked in to pick, you know, eleventh, twelfth, thirteenth, fourteenth, wherever that pick lands. They could certainly look to move that pick uh, to move back in into the. Uh, you're going to move back in the draft, maybe get a few first-round picks that are, number one, going to be a little bit cheaper, and number two, help you fill out a roster that you're not going to be able to fill out um, in free agency because you don't have any any room. And then on top of that, you know, what are the Hornets going to do with – I assume they decline uh, the second year on Ramon Sessions' team option. Uh, but, you know, I've had conversations with folks on Twitter and, and conversations in general with people that think they're going to keep him. 
um, just because they, you know, they're locked in to their flexibility of where their moves can come from. So, you know, it's going to be really interesting. They got some other uh, rights that they need to decide if they're going to renounce or not. Um, but yeah, Rich, yeah, in the roster you're looking at today is, is effectively going to be what it is going into next season. Um, all right, very good. Anything else on uh, as we kind of just glance towards the summer that you want to touch on? No, no. I mean, I, we'll probably get to it in the upcoming episodes uh, because that's where our focus is going to have to shift as we're out of the playoffs. But right now, we, I'm just kind of thinking about you know how our season ended and what what kind of went wrong this season. So, yep. So you know, stay with us as we you know, move in uh, to May here and in, in late April. Uh, we were really going to dive in on on, on draft coverage and. We're going to have some really cool guests on the show um, that are uh, that are nerds like me when it comes to draft prospects, and, and you're um, you're all going to get really annoyed reading my uh, my Twitter handle uh, for the next you know two months or so because I'm going to go into full draft mode. It's my favorite time of the year. All right, I love this stuff, and as a Hornets fan, it comes naturally because <laughs> you're you're already locked into this uh, you know every every May um, you know leading up to the draft where the Hornets usually have a uh, have a pretty good pick. And uh, so this year is not going to be much different. Um, so, you know, just be aware of that. A lot of draft coverage coming uh, from Queen City Hoops. A lot of draft coverage coming um, from BuzzBeat Radio. Uh, coming up soon, Richie, we covered a lot. Final thoughts here as we close out the season. I mean, I, I mentioned this on an article at, at Queen City Hoops. We won't really dive into it because uh, we're running low on time here. But final thoughts for the season. I, I, I'm a little surprised that our defense took a dip. Uh, this season, like I stated in the article, this is the first year in which Clifford has had a below 10 rating, uh, top 10 rating in, def- in defense. And I think a lot of that has to do with defending the three-point line. Uh, you know, over the offseason, uh, we got to get Batum kind of locked in defensively, or we got to get someone that can play defense because, you know, our defense this year has allowed a lot of three-point attempts. And a lot of it has to do with, like you stated, a lack of a rim protector, but also on-ball defense has been bad, and we've had to collapse so much in the paint where it leaves you know shooters open from three. So my, my last thought for this season, I, I kind of wish that we did make the playoffs heading into the season, and I had high hopes probably, you know, December. You know, I, I was I, I even said it on the, on the uh, previous episode that, you know, it's looking like we could make a top four spot, but uh, the defense just kind of uh, let us down this year. Yeah, so yeah, I'm sorry, Richie. I, I told you I was getting <laughs> we were gonna plug your piece, and then I got ahead of myself. But yeah, so uh, the piece that Richie was kind of just re- uh, referencing, uh, he wrote a, a feature article yesterday where the 2016-17 Hornets went wrong. So make sure you go and read that over at QueenCityHoops.com. Uh, it's got a lot of uh, interesting nuggets, just statistically of of where the Hornets. Um, or burn the season, and, and again, where it really went wrong. So make sure you go read that. Really good job on that, Richie. I enjoyed reading that. And it's uh, you know not super long feature article, but it puts it in perspective very quickly. Um, you know, and, and helps you in you know something that's very digestible. Uh, written content helps you understand very simply. Here's what went wrong for the Hornets. I mean, they couldn't guard the three point line. All the other things that you talked about. So. Very nice job on that as we transition uh, into draft season here, Richie. Uh, Folks, don't forget we are a member of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network. Again, go and check out all the great stuff uh, over uh, at almightyballer.com. They've got any kind of podcast. If you're a fantasy basketball guy, every single team in the league is covered. Uh, Draft, uh, free agent, I mean, whatever you want, it's there. So please make sure you're going out and checking. uh, You're going and checking that out. Uh, Richie, tell the folks where they can listen to us on the go. Find us on social media. Very good. Yeah, you can follow the show on Twitter at BuzzBeat Radio, myself at Richie Randall, and you can follow Spencer at QCH Spencer. As always, you're able to listen to us on the computer or in the car. Visit QueenCityHoops.com for all of our content. And if you want to continue to listen to the show, search BuzzBeat on your podcast app or the Stitcher app. We truly appreciate it any ratings reviews feedback as well and i'd also go ahead and check out the dash radio app and be on the lookout for the almighty baller radio station in which buzz beat will be a part of uh, we want to thank everyone again for all the support so far and we're excited to keep things going uh, definitely disappointed in how the season ended uh, but you know you just never know things may turn around for next season so guys we will see you next time awesome all right folks well until next time 
Go Hornets. You get to say that for two more games, and then we're off into the draft. So thanks for the listen. We'll see you next week.